0: Good morning, everyone. We're so happy to see you. Uh, As I said last week, uh, let me rephrase that. You can see me. I can't see you still, but it won't be long, hopefully, and we will be able to see each other face to face. Uh, Let me say happy Mother's Day to all of you again. I know it's been said many times. Uh, Let me say that again. Happy Mother's Day to you all. I want to thank God for, as I always like to do, our fabulous, fantastic worship team who blessed us again today. With marvelous song. And so we're glad for that. And uh, we're glad to have you with us as we launch into this new series today. Uh, today again is Mother's Day. And uh, uh, today we will be starting a new series in one of the only two books in the entire Bible that are named after women. In honor, I don't know that it's in honor of Mother's Day, but we're, that's what we're starting today is this, this series in the book of Esther, the book of Esther. The other book, many of you know, that's named after a woman is the book of Ruth. We're in Esther today and we'll start this series today and we'll go all the way through uh, the entire book of Esther. And as we do that, we'll entitle this series uh, God's Providence. The entire series through Esther will be entitled uh, God's Providence. And today in that series, we'll be uh, dealing with part one of God's providence, God's providence part one. For those of you who tuned in on Wednesday night, you'll recall that I said then that uh, as we looked at the story of Joseph on Wednesday night, I said then that God has general universal promises and plans that he's already put in place, the general promises he's already made. Uh, to to humanity, to his people in general and general his general promises, his general plans. He's already done that. We talked about that then. Uh, But he also has not only these general universal promises and plans. He also has. And I love this. He has unique, special, individual plans for you. And for me that are designed for you and designed for me. He has those as well uh, that fit uh, uh, that, that for each of us uh, that fit these plans that he has for us fit especially and uniquely in their own unique way into God's grand plan. This special plan he has fits into his grand plan. I love that he often brings those plans to pass through his providence. Often God brings those unique plans to pass by way of his providence. Uh, talking about providence, I like what Dr. Tony Evans says about it and how he describes God's providence. This is what uh, Dr. Evans says. He says this, he says, uh, providence is the hand of God in the glove of history. Evan says, it is the work of God whereby he integrates and blends events in the universe in order to fulfill his original design for which it was created. It is God, he says, sitting behind the steering wheel of time. Providence refers to God's governance of all events so as to direct them toward an end. It is God taking what you and I would call luck, chance, mistakes and happenstance and stitching them into achieving his program. Uh, That is a really good picture of God's providence. It is a really good picture of God's providence. And here's, here's the reason why we need a good picture of God's providence so that we can understand it. It's important that we at least get a really good understanding of the concept of God's providence because understanding the concept of God's providence should give us confidence. Understanding providence should translate to confidence for us Uh, The reason why is, is because uh, uh, when God makes a promise, his promises that he makes are guaranteed to come to pass. And I've already said that oftentimes he brings those promises to pass through his providence. So knowing that should bolster and build our confidence, knowing that God's promises will never fail. They will come to pass. God's providence doesn't make our troubles go away. That's a good thing to know. Because we don't want to be fooled and tricked into thinking that just because God is on our side and he has plans for us that we won't face anything because that's not what providence is all about. God's providence does not make our plans our, our, uh not our plans, but it does not make our troubles go away, it does not do that. But what it does is it frames them with his majestic and loving purposes for us. That's what happens uh, by way of God's providence with our problems with our troubles God can let me share this with you God can uh, and certainly will but he does not always reveal his providence through miracles he can reveal those reveal that through miracles he can do that he's known. he's known to have done that before he even does that oftentimes now but he certainly uh, does not always reveal his providence through miracles. In fact, most of the time it's through ordinary circumstances that we see his providence at work. This then is indeed the case here in the book of Esther. It's an ordinary situation, ordinary events, but God's providence is prevalent. We'll find out later uh, that Esther is like Joseph, that we talked about on Wednesday. Esther is also a part of the lineage that begins with Abraham. God's providence, you remember, God's providence has prevailed over this family that Esther is in line with and she's a part of this family. God's providence has prevailed over this family since he made his covenant with the patriarch Abraham in Genesis 17, 4 through 8. You remember what it says. It says this, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. He changes his name. He says, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will, God says, make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations uh, and kings shall come from you. He promises Abraham and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. This is where Esther comes into play. Your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. This is the covenant and the promise that is directly tied to the providence that Esther is going to experience in her life. It is tied to that promise that God made Abraham that he cannot go back on. So let's talk about this book, Esther. Let's talk about it. The setting of this book is 40 years after the temple was built and it's 40 years before the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. Right. Ahasuerus uh, or Xerxes is his name. Right. He is king over Persia. The nation of Israel has split into two kingdoms. You'll know. You remember that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are the two kingdoms now. And the northern kingdom uh, goes by the name of Israel. The southern kingdom is known as Judah. This has happened, this has taken place after years of disobedience to the Lord. The northern kingdom was taken captive by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was later taken captive by the Babylonians. And you'll recall that the captivity in, of, in Babylon lasted for 70 years. During the 70 year period, the Persians conquered the Babylonians. So the children of Israel have been having been displaced from their land were first captives to the Babylonians, then the Persians. That brings us then to our story. Before we get into the story, allow me to share some interesting facts about the book of Esther with you. Interesting facts. One thing that's interesting about this book is. Uh, There is no mention at all of God anywhere in this entire book. No mention of God. There's no mention of heaven. There's no mention of hell. There is no prayer that happens in Esther. There are no miracles in Esther. There's no prophecy in Esther. Yet we will see God's hand all over this story. Even though he's not mentioned, even though none of those things are mentioned, we'll see his hand and his hand of providence all over this story. As we examine today's passage, I'd like to do so by taking a look at each of the four main characters in these opening verses of this intriguing episode from Old Testament antiquity. That's how I like to approach this. First, I'd like to introduce each of the characters and explain how they each unknowingly, become a part of God's providential plan that will play out over the course of this book. Then after doing that, I'd like to discuss how we see the scarlet thread of Christ in each of their unique situations is there. Although God is not mentioned, the Bible is still a hymn book. That's spelled H-I-M. And that's a reference to Christ. It's still a hymn book, a H-I-M book. And traces of Christ are evident on every page, every page of God's holy writ. He's there on every page. So then let's look at the first character. The first character uh, we are introduced to is the king, right? The king. We we are introduced to him in verses one through five. Let's read it now. Let's just say this. We're going to use for our kind of paragraph of preaching today and teaching. uh, Esther chapter one verses uh, Esther chapter one verses one through chapter two, verse 18. Uh, That is what we're looking at. But I won't be reading all of that passage. I'm going to select some of the passages that go along with the characters and we're going to read those. The rest of it, I'll fill in with narrative and just kind of explain what's going on. So first, let's see what's going on with the king. Verses one through five say this. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus, who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants the army of Persia and media and the nobles and governors of the provinces before him, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, one hundred and eighty days. And when those days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. That's our introduction, brief introduction to the king, King Ahasuerus, right? We're introduced to him here. Uh, The king is in Sushan. It is it serves, if you will, as his winter home. And while he's there, he makes a feast or organizes this party. He organizes this party for his officials and his servants that last for get this six whole months. Have you ever Wondered what it would be like to have a party that lasts for six months, six months, not six days, not six hours. He has a party that lasts for six months. There is a reason why he does it. He does it for no other reason but to show off. He's a show off. He wants to show off uh, what he has and who he is to everybody. So he has a six month long party. It was a display of his riches and his greatness. Then he has a smaller after party. For the locals that last seven days, that's a long party as well. So one party lasts six months, the next one lasts seven days. Uh, Along the way, close to the end of this long extended party, this may have happened before, but certainly we're told that it happens at some point near the end. He gets drunk and as he gets drunk, he summons his wife to come and parade her beauty before his male guests. He calls her to come and do this because uh, of her refusal. She does, by the way, refuse this request because she refuses. He decides through a series of events to replace her as queen, which fits right into God's providential plan. We'll talk more about it in a minute. Just want to give you a brief introduction to the king. Then that leads us to the next character. Next character is in verses nine through 12 of chapter one. Uh, let's read it. Next character is Vashti. Let's read about Vashti, the king's queen, the king's wife. Here's what it says in verses nine through 12. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women. She has her own party for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus on the seventh day. When the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Memuhan, Bistha, Habona, Bikthah, and Agapha, Sethor and Karsis, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty. For she was lovely to look at. Right. Verse 12. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this king, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. So we meet Vashti now, his wife, Queen Vashti. She refuses, as I said earlier. How does she fit? How does she unknowingly become a part of God's plan? We already saw how the king unknowingly becomes a part of God's plan in, in this whole uh, series of events. But how does Queen Vashti become Uh, a part of God's providential plan. She refuses. Here's how it happens. She refuses to be a part of this foolishness. And because of this refusal as queen, never to be, she is never to be heard from again. She's removed as queen and never to be heard from again. Right. And by doing so, she opens the door for a young Jewish girl who will meet later to be the next queen so that she would be in place for we'll see these words later. Such a time as this had Basta gone along with the king's request. Things would have gone in a totally different direction. Right. And so she because she refuses this absurd request from her husband. She inserts herself unknowingly into God's providential plan and opens the door for the subject of this book, who we'll meet in a few minutes to become queen in her place. Who's the next character? The next character is a man by the name of Mordecai. We read about him in chapter two, verses six, five, and six. Here's what it says. Chapter two, follow me there. Chapter two of Esther, beginning at verse five. Here's what it says. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up somebody. We'll talk about her in a minute, right? That's, we, that's our introduction to Mordecai. How does Mordecai unknowingly become a part of God's providential plan? Well, we just met him, right? Mordecai has been described by the way as the hero of the book of Esther. He was a resident of Shushan already who had taken in his orphaned cousin whose name is Esther. We'll meet her uh, formally in a minute. Uh, who will meet, we'll meet her shortly? Uh, Because Mordecai had been gracious enough to take Esther in as his daughter. She is in the right place at the right time for God's plan to be fulfilled. It's how Mordecai unknowingly becomes a part of God's providential plan. And so then finally, we meet our final character. We've talked about her all along. Book is named after her. Let's meet Esther. We're going to just look at a few verses that uh, reference her. Let's start in chapter two, verse seven. And when we stop with chapter two, verse seven, we'll jump to verse 10. Chapter two, verse seven says this. Um, He was talking about Mordecai bringing up Hadassah. That is her Hebrew name. That is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And then verse 10 of that same chapter says this, move down to verse 10. Esther had not made known her uh, her people or kindred for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And then move over to 17 and 18, 17, and 18, say this. Starting at 17, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. This is our introduction to Esther. Esther was a daughter, uh, uh, the text says, of Abihel and a cousin of Mordecai. After her father and mother died, Mordecai raised her as his own daughter. Her Jewish name, as I said earlier, was Hadassah, which means myrtle. That's her name. That's the meaning of her name. She ends up becoming queen simply because of God's providence over her physical beauty and the course of events that have led to her, led her to where she now finds herself. Right. And so that is what goes on. Right. This is how each of these four characters uh, are unknowingly uh, inserted in and become a part of God's providential plan. We've seen that in each each of the four characters. Right. Uh, So what lessons, though, can we learn from each of these characters? How do we here's the next question, uh, the prevailing question. Right. How do we see Christ in each of them? How do we see it? Either by comparison or by contrast. I think we can see Christ all throughout these characters and in them. First thing, first, let's look at the king. We've already looked at and been introduced to him. Let's look at how what we can learn from him. Right. How how do we see Christ in him? So let me say this. We see Christ in King Ahasuerus. Uh, uh, We see him by contrast in the king. Right. We see some things that contrast that are different from Christ. And when we see that, we can compare it to Christ and we can see the see that Christ uh, is much better. We'll talk about it. He's a worldly king. In what he values, how he rules, where his wisdom comes from, etc. Watch this. He rules one hundred and twenty seven provinces and appears to have all this wealth and power, yet he never makes a decision on his own. He always needs someone to tell him what to do. Then he always they always give him bad advice and he always listens to their bad advice. He is the example. The he is bad leadership exemplified. Let's talk about what happens. We, we kind of briefly went over it. Right. He calls his wife. In to parade herself in front of his male guest, she refuses, and then he consults with these people, his servants and his officers, and he asks them what he should do about it. He's angry. He asks them, and one, Mmucian, speaks up and says, "This is what you ought to do: you ought to kick her out of the palace and give and 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 bring in some others who would who would uh, audition to be queen in her place. Kick her out of the palace. Make a decree." And when you make a decree, we know that the decrees that are made by by, by the king in this day were, were irreversible so that when he would make the decree, he couldn't go back on it. And so he listens to this advice and this is what he does. He does that. And so we see in him the example, unlike Christ, the bad leadership, we have a much better king. We have a much better king. In fact, first Timothy, Paul says this in first Timothy chapter six, verses 13 through 15. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. And Christ Jesus, who is who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We have a much better King. We see Jesus by contrast, when we look at King Ahasuerus. But then what about Vashti? What do we see in her? Bashti, we, we see Christ in Bashti in that she refused to back down from her convictions. No matter what the consequences were, no matter what the situation was, she stands firm on her refusal to be a part of foolishness. She stands firm and solid on her convictions. Her husband uh, calls her and threatens her with doing this. She says no. And she faces the consequences of her conviction. We see this in Christ as well. Many times in his life do we see him stand firm on his conviction, no matter what the consequences might be. You remember, many times we see it in his life. One such instance you recall was when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He had fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights and he was hungered. He was at his weakest point physically, but his strongest point spiritually. And the enemy approaches him and propositions him in three different ways. And Jesus stands firm on his convictions in all of them. And he responds in all three ways. It is written. It is written. It is written with the word of God. He stands firm on his conviction and he Refuses to bow down and to do what Satan, the enemy, is trying to get him to do in this. We see Jesus in Vashti because she stands firm on her conviction. Right. That's what what we see in her. Uh, And so then let's move on to the next the next uh, character. What do we see in this next character? We see uh, Vashti shows us Christ in that she refuses to back down from her conviction. And the truth of the matter is that standing for God will always result in a positive outcome. Standing for God. We don't know what happens to Vastai, but we do know that her standing up for her own convictions ultimately contributed to the good that would come out of the story of the king and Esther. So we learn that. What do we, what do we learn from Mordecai? What do we learn from Mordecai? Mordecai. In Mordecai, we see many comparisons to Christ. In just this passage, keep in mind, we're going to be walking through the entire book of Esther, but today we're focusing on chapter one, chapter two, the first 18 verses of chapter two. Right. And so just in this passage, we see all of this evidence of God's providence just in these two chapters. We'll look at more of it later. But just right here, we see Christ in, even in Mordecai, not to mention the entire book. Mordecai is a certain Jew, it says, and the Lord Jesus Christ is a certain Jew. According to Matthew, chapter one, Mordecai becomes a father to an orphan just like Jesus, the Lord Jesus became a father to us who were all orphaned. It's like Paul says in Romans 8:15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba Father. It is what Mordecai does and it, it pictures what Christ would do later. Mordecai walked, the text says every day before the court. Mordecai walks where Esther walks to associate himself with Esther. Hebrews 726 says this, for such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. That's what it says. And so we see Jesus in Mordecai as well. Lastly, we see Jesus in Esther. As we continue our journey through this story, we will see more and more how Esther is indeed a type of Christ. So how do we see that? What, what do we see that, that says that to us about her? We'll see more of it later in the story, but just right here, we, we, look, we look at her and we look forward to what she will do on behalf of her people. And we know that she will be a type of savior for them, like Jesus was a savior for us. God raises up a savior in Jesus, right? He raises up a savior in this instance in Esther. She gives her life selflessly on behalf of her people. Sounds like Jesus. Through her willingness to die for others, she will be willing later to die for her people. God's enemies are defeated and God's people are given life and honor when someone like Jesus is willing to give their life. Esther pictures Jesus. She is vindicated and she is honored And so is Jesus. God, therefore, has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Jesus is honored. We believe God has raised up a believer in Christ. He has selflessly given himself uh, on our behalf. Jesus has through his sacrifice. God's enemies are being defeated and we will be given life and honor through him. And we see this in Esther, right? So let me share with you this final thought as we launch this series today in Esther and looking at God's providence and how prevailing it is in our lives. And even especially when we're dealing with what we're dealing with, we need to know that God's providence is all around us. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't notice it, even when we think it's a coincidence, an accident, God is not in the business of doing either of those. He's in the business of his providence. So let me share this with you. God is in absolute control. He has a plan, rest assured, and he's behind the scenes working that plan out through his amazing yet often subtle providence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your presence, for your power, for your providence that is prevailing in our lives, even when we don't notice it and can't see it. We know that you have a specific unique plan for us that you are working out and we thank you for that. And that we know that our unique and special plan fits in to your grand plan and so we thank you lord bless us keep us lord god near you we thank you for all the mothers we pray and lift them to you we magnify you and glorify you in jesus name we pray amen amen well we thank you again for being with us and we pray that you would schedule to be with us uh, both on wednesday this week at six and then next sunday at 10 for our morning worship again and until then we Uh, We'll be in prayer for you and we pray that you would be praying for us. Uh, If you've heard something, so the Lord has touched your heart and you've decided that you'd like to give your life. Would you pray that prayer and just ask him to come into your heart and then you could be the beneficiary of his providence as well. Would you do that? And then let us know if you do. And so until next week, we, we say God bless and God keep you. Until then is our prayer. Amen.